the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. The words. Speed away. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another af- another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I'm the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Well, I hope your 2023 year is going well and that uh, things are looking good for you. I know that the last several years have been rough for us, and who knows? You know, th- this year they're saying that inflation could uh, get worse, and of course you got the egg issue, which is a you know of all the problems um, of as far as inflation goes, that one hits my home, me and my home, the hardest. We eat a lot of eggs at my house. I have four kids, my wife and I. We all eat eggs. And this is going to sound like an insane amount, but we do. We eat about 120 eggs a month. 120 eggs. Can you believe that? That's a lot of eggs. And now you, you may be thinking, you guys, how much do you eat for breakfast? Well, we use it in baking and bread and uh, yeah, and, and a lot of things. So, you know, uh, there's a lot of stuff we make and cakes. And so it makes sense when you look at it from the whole. But that's all, that price is getting up there. It's getting pretty high for us. But it is what it is, and so we keep on doing what we can. But we hope that you're having a good year, and we're going to continue our study of 1 Thessalonians this week. It's going to be nice to be able to get consistent in getting my lessons out here for the radio program. We're also doing this on Wednesday night. So if you're home or if you're able to look at your Bible, turn on over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. (coughs) Excuse me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Now last week, we kind of did a small introduction and we looked at verses 1 through 5. And we're going to look at the second half, 6 through 10, this afternoon. But as a a reminder, we're going to just read verses 1 through 5, where Paul says, or writes, Paul and Salvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. So I want to re-look at verse 5 again, not re-look at, but uh, 
kind of a reminder, but to refresh our minds, there at verse 5, where Paul is saying he knows knows this, that they're chosen of God because of the way the Thessalonians were called by God. And he talks about how our gospel did not come to you in word only. The hour there, that's Paul, Sylvanus, Timothy, uh, how they brought the, <coughs> the word to them. But it didn't just come in word only, but it, that, those words spoken had power. Power in, in the sense that the gospel uh, came with a transforming ability to take these adulterous Thessalonian pagans and turn them into followers of the one and only true God. So it's that same saving power that we read about or Paul writes about in Romans chapter 1. It confirms the message was not merely a human philosophy, but a revelation from God. You also have that phrase, uh, Holy Spirit. So the gospel didn't just come in word only and power, but also in the Holy Spirit. Now that can be one of two things. It can refer to the supernatural manifestations of God's power among the Thessalonians. Miracles were given to confirm that the messengers and the message were from God. False teachers could not uh, work miracles. People who heard the gospel and saw the signs recognized that the message had to be from God. So that's one way to look at it, and it's got some good arguments. Uh, I prefer to look at it as far as what the Thessalonians saw in Paul, Silvanus, and possibly Timothy, what they saw in them. Not only did they preach it, but they acted these things out in their own lives. And they also saw it when they, when Paul was persecuted, he did not shrink back from the gospel. He was even run out, but uh, Silvanus and Timothy, they, they stuck around, and they continued to work with the Thessalonians. And so they could see this change from the inside out. And that change translated over to the Thessalonians as well. And that applies also with the next part, with full conviction. Now, it does, that doesn't apply to the Thessalonians, although it can, to a, in a sense, but this is something they saw in Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. <coughs> so it speaks of their absolute assurance of the truthfulness of the message he preached. Paul knew it was from God and that it was the only way of salvation. And this understanding is further confirmed by the next phrase of verse 5. Just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Again, indicates this full conviction. It indicates this assurance. Paul and the others believed what they taught, and that's why they lived the way they lived in the presence of the Thessalonians. Their lives were consistent with the message they brought because they were fully convinced that this message was God's will. <coughs> I apologize for the coughing. Now, let's look in, let's read verses 6 through 10, the second half of chapter 1, and take a look at this. Paul writes, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything 
For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and await for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Okay. So, again, Paul knows that they, the Thessalonians, are chosen by God because of their response to God's calling them through the gospel. Now, these first few verses, 6 through 8, Paul notes the manner in which they received this word of God. First, they imitated. That is, uh, that comes from, uh, that Greek term comes from our, or we get our English word, mimic. Get that out. So they imitated what they saw from Paul and Sylvanus and the others, and they imitated what they, uh, uh, the Lord and how they accepted God's call. Uh, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord. So, like Jesus and the preachers, the Thessalonians were so convinced of the truth that even persecution would not hinder them from doing what God required of them. Good for them, right? I like Now, let's look at that expression, in the joy of the Holy Spirit. That can bring some challenge for us to interpret. Um, certainly, the contrast between tribulation and joy it ought to be noted. The pressure was brought to bear by those outside of Christ. But there is only this response of joy on the part of these new Christians. Huh. Isn't that interesting? Why? To respond to tribulation, that's persecution, okay? To respond to that with joy, that is not a natural way of reacting to your situation in, this, in our world, is it? But for a Christian... Rejoicing is possible even in the face of personal suffering because the teachings given and confirmed by the Holy Spirit assured them of something greater than whatever happens to them in this realm. Now, I'm saying confirmed because this is one way of looking at it. That's not, uh, If you're going to go with the idea that this is the, the miraculous, then it's confirmed to them by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, because of their joyful acceptance, of the message in the face of opposition, Paul knows that God has chosen them. So that's the that's if you're going to go with uh, Holy Spirit in the first in verse five being miraculous. That's the way you ought to see it in this verse too, because Paul has not changed the definition. So if the first one's Holy Spirit is miraculous, then it ought to be miraculous down here too. It has to be. Now, if you believe as I do. That verse 5, Holy Spirit, is talking about the change within the inner man on the level of their heart, then you have to see it that way in this verse also. So, the joy of the Holy Spirit, um, you know, the contrast between tribulation and joy, again, same thing, to be able to respond to persecution with joy, again, not natural. So, what's changed? Something changed in the Thessalonians on the level of their heart, the way they see life. They're imitating Paul. They're imitating the Lord. Just like, like take Jesus, who for the uh, joy set before him endured the cross. For the joy set before the Thessalonians, they're enduring persecution. They know what's coming, and they know it's worth it. So they see things differently. They see it just like the Lord. They're learning to die to self and live for Christ. So they've 
died to their uh, to themselves on the level of their heart, and they're taking on the spirit of Christ. It is a holy spirit, set apart, different from the world. Do you see that? So that's the way I see this. I think it fits the passage better. But, you know, if you think miraculous, that's fine. That, that can fit in there. It's got some pretty good arguments. Also, think about it. Read it and, and mull these things over. And don't just accept what you've always believed on certain things. See if it fits the passage. You know, challenge yourself. Iron sharpens iron. Allow it to uh, uh, make you think a little bit. Okay, next. The Thessalonians, <coughs> the Thessalonians also became an example to others in the way they responded after hearing the message. That's verse 7. Paul write, wrote there, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. Uh, sorry, I <clears throat> I keep taking a drink here because I don't know why I got this sore throat this morning. But here in verse 7 suggests that there the Thessalonians' perseverance in the face of opposition has inspired other people to, to take note, take notice of the Thessalonians' faith. And this has become an example for them to follow. So here you got the Thessalonians imitating Paul and the Lord, and others are imitating the Thessalonians. That's, that's great. That's, that's exactly what you, you want to see, especially in new converts. Macedonia and Achaia are neighboring regions, and uh, were, the, were the fields of the mission efforts of the, of the preachers. So they're sending people out, and they're going and preaching and spreading the good news. Man. If I wish every congregation, new congregation, new convert were like the Thessalonians. What a great job they're doing. Verse 8. It continues the thought of their being an example for others. For Paul says, or writes, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. Man, that's fantastic. All right, let's look at the beginning here. It sounded forth. This is only found here in our New Testament, and it gives this imagery of something going out, going forth in all directions. It means that reports, <coughs> the reports of the Thessalonians is now becoming widespread, and this is giving more opportunity for the progress of the gospel in other places. So this faith, the faith of the Thessalonians, it's taken wings, right? By means of these reports. And it's traveling throughout the empire. So that Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, they could, they could not be the ones bearing this news. Everywhere they go, the report of what happened in Thessalonica has preceded them. That's amazing. It's spreading that fast. They would have enjoyed telling others of the great things happening there in Thessalonica. I mean, wouldn't you? Don't you always like, oh man, I got a great story to tell you about Thessal uh, Thessalonica. Oh, we already heard about them. What? I don't get to tell my story? And then you begin to hear stories about Thessalonica from other people. <laughs> the congregation you set up helps set up. I mean, that's got to put a big smile on, uh, on Paul's face, but man, he doesn't get that. He lost that illustration in his lesson, right? So that's fantastic. The specific aspects of the report about the Thessalonians are found in verse 9, the first part of verse 9, where he writes, For they themselves report about us 
what kind of a reception we had with you. So there in Thessalonica, who came to believe, reacted very differently than the opposers of the gospel. Paul is saying that in the midst of clear opposition from some of the leading Jews in the city, these newborn Christians welcomed the preachers and came to faith by means of the message. The word spoken, it had power, right? It transformed their lives on the level of their heart. And it came with full conviction. Not only did they see it from Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, they see it in the Thessalonians themselves. And that, and that is exactly what you want to see. Here's the next aspect of the, of the reports that went out here in verse 9. How uh, It has to do with how they return or turn to God from idols and to serve a living and true God. So again, confirms that there were a number of folks there in the congregation who were of pagan background. Their change of belief from idols to God takes us back to the evidence of their faith. Evidence, that's a big change for back then. That's huge. All your life to go into these pagan temples... Have that statue, a stone statue, and whatever sacrifices <coughs> it required. That's insane. What a change. And it happened. It can still happen today. Don't give up, folks. Don't lose heart. Keep the, the power is not in you. The power is not in me in the sense that we have some sort of ability. The power is in us in the sense that on the level of our heart, if we are Christians... We have the gospel message. That's the power. Let it speak for itself. Don't trust in yourself. If you feel like, well, I can't do this. Well, you're right. You can't. But the word of God can. Direct people to the Bible. When they begin to uh, start asking questions of you, you refer those questions to the answers found in the word. That's where it's at. That's where it's at. Next. We have the report about them. The Thessalonians also indicates that they now wait for his son from heaven. That's also, that's not also, but that's found in verse 10. So these Thessalonians uh, from differing backgrounds are all now living in anticipation of the second coming. See, they're, they're looking ahead. That's the joy set before them. That's why they can fi- have joy in the midst of persecution because they know, they know what's coming knowing what they will receive. And by implication, they believe in the resurrection because the Son will come from heaven. Second part of verse 10. Yet Paul explicitly states, uh, whom he raised from the dead, that is, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. (laughs) This raising from the dead is the evidence for the hope of the Thessalonians. That's their evidence. Their expectation is deliverance from the wrath to come. Their conviction that Jesus was dead and came forth from the grave enabled that faith, their faith, right? And that that is what, what we hope for all people. I know I'm, I'm repeating myself there. Let, let's, let's back up a little bit. The wrath of God. I want to kind of hit on some of these uh, phrases. Uh, this is not an wrath of God. That's not an uncommon subject with Paul. He, he mentions it quite a bit in Romans. He'll say it again in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. It is God's righteous judgment against sin. Whenever you see wrath of God, it sounds so negative, but it's a righteous judgment against sin. 
and it's a good thing. It is contrasted with the hope given to all Christians. The concept of a judgment to come when God's uh, wrath is unleashed against the ungodliness of this world is an effective means to convince the pagan mind to change their way. In other words, Paul is saying there is a day coming where you will give an account. Everything you do is going to be brought before court. And you're going to have to give an accounting, uh, uh, speak up as to why you did these things or why you rejected these things or why you didn't listen. So change now. Redeem the time, right? Make the most of the opportunity you have right now before you to make this change. If you don't, if you don't, wrath, wrath is what's going to come. In all of this, Paul is saying that he knows God has chosen them, the Thessalonians, because of the way they have responded to the message of God brought by these preachers. It is this message that called them to be a part of God's people, sharing a common faith with those who look forward all the way to the end time. So powerful was the theme of the second coming to the Thessalonian mission that Paul mentions it in each chapter of this letter. You'll notice as we read through, every chapter he mentions the second coming. It is apparently the only significant doctrinal issue about which this young congregation was confused. And we'll see that as we get over to 2 Thessalonians when we finish up this one. So, <clears throat> when Paul came, <coughs> excuse me, when Paul came to Thessalonica, he brought the good news of salvation in Christ. Some in the city accepted the message as true, and therefore they responded favorably to it. That's good. The evidence of their response consisted of their faith. It consisted of their hope, and it consisted of their love. We read at the very beginning of the chapter. This same spiritual change should be seen in every Christian. Not only in the first century, but in every century all the way to right now and to those who may come in the future. It is the truth that brought us to the decision. And it is our embracing that truth that brings about the change. The evidence that points to a proper response to truth is faith, love, and and hope. And it is the work, the labor, and steadfastness seen within individuals that evidence their faith, love, and hope. What we do in our Christianity will help us to see if our religion is genuine. Does our faith lead us to work, to launch forward in accomplishing the Lord's will? Does Does our love for one another lead us to tireless labor in behalf of our brothers? Does our hope lead us to hang on during the tough times, to be steadfast because our eyes are focused on heaven? While others may or may not be able to answer these questions positively, we Christians need to be assured that we have correctly responded to the Lord. Faith, hope, love. Now, 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about that, right? In chapter 13. Faith, 
hope, love, and the greatest of these is love. And if you're new to this program, if you haven't heard me say this before, I want to mention to you why love is the greatest. Have you ever stopped to wonder and ask, why is love the greatest? Well, you may be thinking, well, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and the second one is like it. Second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. True. But there you know there is a bigger reason why faith trumps faith, why love trumps faith and hope. Faith is being able to see heaven from this perspective. So it's seeing with spiritual eyes heaven. We can't see everything, but we can see what God has told us, and we know it's there. We can be assured that's that confident expectation, hope, of knowing that we will receive it when we get to heaven. And love is you know, exactly what you said, loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor as yourself. But when you get to heaven, you die, judgment day comes, you go to heaven, and you're there. Do you need faith in heaven? You do not, because you will already be there. It's yours. Will you need hope? No, you will have received the promise. What about love? Yeah. Love has was here before creation. Love will be here after creation. Faith and hope have only ever uh, been needed in the time of creation and this realm. Once we leave it, it's no longer necessary. We won't need it anymore because we will be there. Therefore, love is the greatest. That's why we need to focus so much on it. That's why the Bible tells us about love so much. Oh, I don't have much, I don't want to get too much into that now because we don't have the time for it. But I want you to think about these things, how important it is. So as we wrap this up, I do want to give you one little snippet before I close out the program. That summer is coming, which means summer camps, right? Happening in June. Go to Copper Basin Bible camp.org or cbbc.life and you will see uh, information about our camp. Uh, I'm working on that website, building it up. You can click on the summer camps at the top and get the the dates for all the camps from Cub Camp. That's those who are potty trained, right? Uh, And going in, getting ready to go into kindergarten or I guess you could say they're K through third grade. They can go to Cub Camp. It's time to learn how camp works. And then from 4th grade all the way to 12th grade, we have camps for the uh, the whole summer. And we encourage you to take a look at that. Thank you for being here. And again, redeem the time. I hope you come back again next week. Thank you and God bless. Sinning up to sweep away till she'll done the better day. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty son. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.